Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. Welcome everybody joining us here in the room. And those of you, I'm trying to talk to you and not burn my hand. Uh, welcome those of you here in the room and those of you online. Thanks for joining us today. Um, yeah, I, there's so much going on. Not just the things she announced, there's so many other things going on. But you know, in spite of all of these things going on here at Vineyard Boise, God is moving in all of it. I said God's moving in all of it. I heard some... I hear testimonies throughout the week, every week. I heard some this morning, um, and I, I just want to share a couple with you. Um, number one, I, somebody uh, here in the church got COVID a few weeks back and was really struggling with their health, and we were praying for them, and they were healed, and God, God um, you know, rescued them out of COVID in a pretty dire situation. But I want to share with you the miracle of this is that coming out of COVID, they no longer have asthma. Wow. Come on. That's right. God can do things when we submit our lives to him and we say, God, I'm all yours. I'm here to be healed. I'm here to be saved. I'm here to be set free and delivered. God's moving here at Vineyard Boise. God's moving here at Vineyard Boise yesterday at the food pantry. Do you know that there were 97 family units fed yesterday at the food pantry? That's an average, just an average of four people per household. Do the math. God is moving here at Vineyard Boise. Amen. God's doing things every week, every day here through the people of God that call this place their home. If you would want to, if, if you want to volunteer at the, at the food pantry, we'd love to have your, you volunteer. If you, if you'd like to, you can go on our website and find out how to do that. You could talk to Pastor Steve this morning after the service, but God is doing awesome stuff out there. He's doing awesome stuff here in our family as a church. He's doing things in our lives that only he can do. He's doing things even this morning. I, I, you know, we worship a little bit crazy. We get a little bit excited about Jesus here. I hope you're okay with that. If not, you will be because God's moving and God's good. But people's hearts are being touched and their lives are being touched here in our services and they're being healed here at the altar every week. And so I want to encourage you as you, uh, you know, to, to the, you know, that's what this invite card is all about. It's inviting somebody else to come meet Jesus. It's inviting somebody else into the goodness that you have found and I have found here in the family of God and what he's doing. And so I want to encourage you, um, before we get into the message, just to, to let God uh, do what he wants to do in your life. Just submit your life to him and, and, and see what he will do. He's doing awesome things and he wants to do awesome things in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm putting off talking about this topic. It's dark. It's dark. We, have, you know, we've been in the in the book of Mark, and we're going to pray and, and get into this. But today, I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna let you know. Today, we're talking about the Garden of Gethsemane and the trial of Jesus. It's um, it's not something that we talk about often at Christmas time. It's not something that we talk about. Uh, and say, hey, you know, 
we're decorating our homes, we're, you know, we're buying gifts, we're doing all, let's talk about the suffering of Jesus. It's not, not something we get into this time of year, but I want to pray, and then we're going to just talk about, about this. This morning's message is, follow me into Gethsemane. So God, we just thank you that we can be here together in your house, online, wherever we're gathered together at. Lord, we just say thank you that we have the freedom to do that. Thank you for your presence that's with us. Thank you for worship this morning and and all that you're doing in our hearts and lives. Thank you just for the many blessings that you've given us as your people. And so, Lord, today we just say, have your way. Would you speak to us? We open up our hearts to you and only you today, God. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts, move in our hearts, teach us, challenge us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. All right. All right, so let's begin. We're in Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 32. And we do have a long passage to read this morning, so open your Bible, open your Bible app, whatever you brought with you this morning, and it's going to be up on the screen, but let's read it together, starting with verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said, he being Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one that I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Verse 47. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. I love this. It says, one of those who stood close by. Mark is extremely gracious to Peter. We know who it is. Like the other, like it was our, the secret is out. The other gospels are like, Peter. Peter did it. Peter drew the sword. Peter cut off the ear. Peter did it. Mark is extremely gracious to Peter and says, you know, one who was standing with them. The other guys are like, no, we knew who did it. And his initials are Simon Peter. (laughs) They were there. They knew. One of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. 
And Jesus said to them, well, you know, Mark skips what Jesus, the, Jesus heals the dude, by the way. He doesn't just leave him there with his ear dangling. He heals him. And then he says to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me then. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. Verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This, nobody, they were not messing around. He like tried to follow for a second, and then they seized him, and he runs away and leaves his clothes behind. They were not getting caught. They were leaving. Verse 53, and they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. Are you still with me this morning? All right. And Peter had followed him in a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him. That means a lot of people were there lying about him, but their testimonies did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I'll destroy the temple that's made with hands, and in three days I'll build another one not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the middle and asked Jesus, Have you remained silent? Or have, you made, have you made no answer? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? the son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all, listen, condemned him as, deser as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and hit him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also are with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while with the bystanders again to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. You know, one of the, one of the disciples uh, describes this moment, and he says that right at that moment, Jesus turned to him and saw him as he made his last denial. You know, as I studied for this message, I found myself waiting just like you are, for the resolve. That's it. That was the night. 
The night doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't, you know, start to go up and to the right for these people. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. It gets a lot worse. And here we're stuck in this moment. And I found myself waiting for the resolve for it, looking for the happy ending. And I realized that it was difficult for me not to push forward and keep reading till it got happy. It was difficult for me to let this passage stand alone in my conscious and just sit with it. I want to make Peter's betrayal better by remembering the conversation Jesus has with him later. I want to make Jesus' guttural sobs of dread and isolation better by thinking of the resurrection, the angels, and the empty tomb. The Bible does say for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, yes, but we must also remember that this dark night of his soul was not free, painless, or cheap. It was horrifying. It was devastating. It was bitter. It was lonely. And our human mind wants to tell us what we know happens later. But we can read from the text that the characters in this play here didn't exactly feel like everything was going to be okay. As I sat with this passage, I kept hearing a tune from the old musical, Grace Guys Are Going to Clear Up, Put on a Happy Face. Why? That's our, that's our natural reaction. Well, it's going to clear up. It's going to be okay. Oh, everything's going to be fine. Grace Guys Are Going to Clear Up. I can't tap anymore, but otherwise I would. You think I'm kidding Sometimes in our desire to be full of faith and we want to see the kingdom breaking through, we can forget that this dark night of sorrow was actually the king of the kingdom breaking through. The will of the Father is a path that leads to glory, but it leads through many things, including hardship, suffering, and the death of self. Obedience to the Father leads to glory through suffering. In this passage, Jesus shows us that obedience means not always taking the path of least resistance. Obedience often leads us into distressing, even desolate seasons where our dependence is completely on the will of God. And we can truly say, this is what I want, Lord, but not what I want what you want. Obedience to the Father's will is its own path, its own course. That's why we can't simply say, well, if everything's going good, you must be doing the right thing. No, the will of God isn't known by the ease of which we coast down the road. In fact, if we're coasting or if it's easy, we might need to stop and reevaluate. Let's just look back at Mark 14, 32. This one verse says it. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly, listen, distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus is following the will of the Father into distress, 
trouble, sorrow, and death. He's following the will of his father into these things. And his one and only action here is to pray. Each of us go through seasons of darkness and suffering and struggle. We struggle with depression and despair. We grapple with hardship and loss. Some of these seasons seem far longer than others, right? But if we were to look at the example of Jesus for our own response in the darkest hours of our lives, we will see that his first response is to pray. Surrounded by loneliness, sorrow, and despair, Jesus turns his attention upward in prayer. Yeah, but he was just begging his father to change things. Yep. Sometimes prayer is begging for God to change things. Don't judge the prayers of somebody in desperation. Sometimes prayer is just crying out to God, begging for him to change a situation. And that's okay. In the middle of our darkest seasons of suffering, we can draw near to the Father through our prayers. 1 John 1.5 says this, that we have this confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Why do we pray in times of desperation? Because he hears us. Something happens here as Jesus prays, and we have, and we have only... This is the only written record of this happening. This is the only place where it is written down that Jesus said these words. In this time of prayer, Jesus calls out to his father and doesn't just say father. He calls out to his father and says, Abba, father. In this moment of desperation, he's pushed to a greater place of intimacy with the father. Not not just father, but close father. Dear Father, Father that I love, Father that I respect, Father that I obey, Abba, Father. It's a deeper expression of the relationship, and it's only noted in this one passage where Jesus is praying out his end on earth before his resurrection. He's praying through his suffering, and in his suffering, it drives him into the deepest place of intimacy with the Father we have recorded in Scripture. Abba, Father, if you can change any of this, if it could pass from me, if the hour could go like this, that would be great, but not my will. In the end, here's what I want. Here's what I desire. If it could move, if it could be quicker, if this hour could pass from me, all of these things, every way that it's noted in each of the four Gospels, But if it would be all right, if there's any way, if it could pass from me. And we here we see Jesus submit to walk in obedience to his father's will. It's not like until that time he'd been unsubmissive or, or not obedient. It's not that this isn't par for the course for Jesus. But what we do need to recognize here is the difficulty in doing so. He lays down his life in in suffering. He lays down his life into the will of the Father. He lays down his life into the story of redemption for us. He lays down his life, his will, his comfort into the beautiful pain of obedience. You see, 
if, if the story had just ended before this prayer in Gethsemane without all the rest to come, we would have a healer, we would have a teacher, we'd have a rabbi, we would have a miracle worker, but we wouldn't have a savior. The story of Christmas isn't that Jesus just came. The story of Christmas is that there was an advent where he arrived and then he laid down his life for you and I. And there's a power in understanding this. He lays down his life into the story of redemption for us. He lays down his life, his will, his comfort into the beautiful pain of obedience for us. Obedience isn't a popular word. It's definitely not popular with my kids. Because to obey, we must submit our will to the will of another. We must put ourselves lower and elevate the desires of someone else above our own. In submitting, we also come under, though, the grace needed for what we're walking through. That's why obedience and submission are so key as believers. Because yes, we might be submitting into hardship and yes, we might be submitting through difficulty and sorrow. But when we submit and we come under and we obey, we come under the grace of God, the grace of the Father to do the thing he's calling us to do. Jesus also says to the disciples in all of this, he talks to them. He's not, he's not the only one that's supposed to be praying in this time. Did you catch that part? He says to the disciples, pray that you might not enter into temptation. Jesus is praying for the will of the Father, but he told the boys to pray so they wouldn't enter temptation. Why? Because they're about to be faced with the greatest temptation they'd ever been faced with so far. And he says, pray that the darkness of this upcoming moment won't completely derail you. Pray that the temporary distress that's coming won't totally take you out. Pray that the confusion, craziness, and cloud of chaos won't send you off course totally and completely. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. I don't think Jesus was talking about them running away and leaving their clothes behind. I think he was talking about much more than this. I think he was talking about their very faith in him. Pray so that this next scene that's coming up doesn't, t- doesn't so shake you that you never recover from it. This passage is an intimate look also at the relationship between Jesus and Peter. Jesus had already told Peter that he'd deny him three times. He had just said it previously in the same chapter. So that's not the temptation. Jesus wasn't saying, pray so you won't run away when things get tough. He already told them they would. He actually said, and he prophesied from the Old Testament, he said, well, here's what's going to happen. The Old Testament says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's about what, that's what's about to happen. He didn't say pray that nobody scatters. He didn't say pray, like it says in verse 50, that they, you all don't leave me. He already told them they were going to do that. He also wasn't saying, pray so you're not tempted to chop somebody's ear off. He was saying, pray 
that you don't fall into temptation. Lean into the Father so you won't give up on the mission. When all this is over, and it will be over, I'm headed to Galilee. Pray so you will meet me there. You see, this chapter will have a conclusion. It's not right this moment, but it will pass. And when it does, Jesus said to them, just so earlier in this chapter, Jesus says it to to all of them before it. He says, after this is over, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. Why do you say that? He says, hey, when this is all over, after the resurrection, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Well, he, he already, he projected for them the end game. So here, this, he says, hey, this dark chapter is going to have a conclusion. It's not right this moment, but it will pass. And when it does, I'm going before you and I'm headed into, uh, I, when I'm risen, I'm going to head ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, when all this is over, when all of it's passed, when I rise from the dead, I'm moving forward with the plan. Will you be there? That's the temptation. The disciples are impacted by this immediately, and we see this play out in their ministries years later. This snapshot is not all there is. This snapshot is just today. In fact, James, one of the guys who was right there, a stone's throw away, as Jesus prayed these prayers, later James writes to the church and he says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. That word there, trials, actually is the word temptations. Consider it all joy when you encounter various temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith, everybody say testing, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces endurance. All we see is a cross-section. We see a moment of distress, but this moment in the story doesn't define the rest of the story. Don't give in to the temptation of believing that this is all that will ever be. Don't give in to the temptation to bypass the process and miss the grace that visits us when we sit in the beautiful pain of hard seasons, the heartache, betrayal, loss, and grief. The will of the Father is a path that leads to glory, but leads through many things, including hardship, suffering, and the death of self. Every once in a while, when I want things to get even heavier than they already are, I read Tozer. That's a joke. But uh, A.W. Tozer said this, I love this quote. The fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the emotions of mounting life or see the wonders of bursting seed nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protected fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, 
and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It's been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken, but its reward comes hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up in the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy laden in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Through extended periods of pain and distress and loss and disillusionment, there's this temptation to resist the process. To despise the pain and attempt to bypass discomfort at any cost. It's actually how we're designed. It's fight or flight. We, We want out. We want out of distress. We want out of hardship. We want out of struggle. We want out of trial. When you're tempted, resist the temptation through prayer like Jesus did and see the resurrection coming. This is not a popular instruction in our generation. See, there's a, dis- there's a generational disillusionment with faith right now. Because things are hard. Things might be hard in your life right now. You may have just come through a hard season. You might be right in the middle of a hard season. And all over the world right now, all over the globe, there's this disillusionment with faith in Jesus Christ. There's this wariness of who he is and what he wants from us. It's stoked by deconstructionism, megachurchism, nationalism. All of these things only serve to stoke the fire of a generation's disillusionment with faith. These are all just temptations to stop believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Temptations to stop believing the gospel. Temptation to not meet Jesus in Galilee after difficult seasons. What's so significant about Galilee, by the way? Well, aside from being the home base for Jesus, it was a place where Jesus actually called his disciples one by one. It's a place where he stood along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, our, in the last year... Um, our family has gone through a pretty difficult season uh, that has ended joyfully, thankfully. But, you know, last year, uh, last fall, fall of 2020, I lost my job in the business sector. And, you know, I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll get a job. It won't, you know, I'll just go, go get a job, right? It was the first time since I was 14 years old that I have not had a job. I've always worked. So there I was with no job, and I just thought, oh, it's going to be fine. And suddenly I realized there was, at that time, no prospect for a job. 
And I started applying, and I'm applying for job after job after job. And do you know, uh, so I wasn't planning to share this this morning, but I'm going to. I was without a job for seven months. Seven months with no job and five kids and a mortgage and everything you've got, like all the stuff, all the bills, all the things. It was a dark season. It was a very dark season. And through those seven months, we grew closer as a family. Through those seven months, we grew closer in our marriage. Through those seven months, we grew closer to the Father, leaning into him and hearing what he was saying. Through those seven months, I applied for 93 jobs. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 93. Some, when I say that number, it kind of blows my mind. Now, when you think of the job market today, it was, it was different a year ago. It was completely different a year ago, but that's still nothing. I mean, 93, not you guys, 93 jobs, come on. I could not get one job. It was ridiculous. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And after a while, we started to realize that there's a reason I'm not getting a job. I sure wish I knew what that was because I'd fix it, right? So we just leaned in all through the winter, all through Christmas, all through January, all through February, all through March. We just leaned in. I would get calls every once in a while of people that would waste my time and bring me in. No, I'm just kidding. I was thankful. But they would just like bring me in, do some free work for them, and then I would leave. And they'd hire somebody younger. Anyways, um, I'm not bitter. I'm not. <laughs> Can't believe I'm telling you this story. Anyways. <laughs> um, so long story short, seven months. Seven months. And God opens up a door where there wasn't a door. Right here. At our church. I'd been in ministry for 14 years prior to going back into business. My wife and I had been full-time in ministry. We honestly had no interest in going back, if I were honest at that time. We were really happy leading worship, just, you know, volunteering, praying for people. You know, we were just happy doing that, and like I was doing business, and it was great. It was fine. And what I realized through that seven-month darkness is that God was reshaping my heart to bring me back around to the calling. You see, Jesus, when he was headed into this dark night, when he was headed into this moment of crisis, struggle, and pain, he projects out to the disciples and he says, hey guys, listen, for a few days, it's going to get really ugly. For a few days, you're not even going to know which end is up. For a few days, it's going to be so dark, you can't even see the next step in front of you. For a few days, there's going to be times when you think that all of this was a whole lot of bull. For a few days. And then when that few days is up, I'm going to meet you back around at the Sea of Galilee where we started. 
in our seasons of pain, Jesus always brings us back to our first love, our highest calling. In our seasons of pain, Jesus always redirects us out of pain into love relationship with him, just like he did with the Father when he called out Abba. He was driven to a deeper place of love and to a place of receiving, once again, the highest calling to meet the boys back in Galilee and spread the gospel like wildfire around the planet. It always ends. The dark night of our soul always ends with a redirection back to our first love and back to our highest calling. If you're stuck in a hard place today, if you're in a moment where you just don't even know which end is up, what I want to say to you is, this will end. And when it does, it's going to end with a redirection back to your first love and back to your highest calling. Today, there may be some of us that a season of hardship and despair has caused us to get bitter or hard. I know that feeling. You've lost friends and relationships. You've lost family. You've lost health. You've lost things that were dear and important to you. I want to say to you that he hears us. In our times of desperation and despair, he hears us when we call out, Abba, Father. He hears you. Today I'm believing for this season in your life to drive you not to a place of bitterness, but to a place of deeper intimacy and relationship with the Father and clarity on your highest calling in Christ. I'm believing for a, rest, a restoration of dis, or a discovery of new depths in your relationship with God as you call out, Abba, Father. As we say, not my will, but yours. We find a depth of glorious grace and a new measure of his goodness to carry us deeper in relationship with him and obedience to his will. Let's stand together this morning. Sometimes it just seems like dark seasons don't end. They sure don't end quickly. But you know, often there's this temptation to try to get out of it or try to step out of it or bypass the pain of it. Just like at the beginning of the story when I read it, I was just so tempted to just keep pushing forward and read about the resurrection and the good stuff. But sometimes we need to sit in the story, sit in the season, and let God do a deep work in our hearts and our lives. I just really feel this morning that some of you this morning, God took the lid off of the deep work he wants to do in your life this morning. You know, I highlighted all of every negative word in these 40 verses. I highlighted them. Bitter, death, betrayal. Oh, that was a hard one. 
Betrayal is really hard. Sometimes we, we want to just, we just decide we're going to package up betrayal and we're going to skip over it. We're going to move on to the next season because it's really hard to be betrayed by people that you thought loved you or maybe that do love you, but are also in the dark night of their own story too. Betrayal's hard. Loss. Loss is hard. Loss of a brother or sister or parent. Loss of a child. Loss of a family. Loss of a job. Loss of stability. Loss is hard. Don't skip out of loss and not learn the lesson of loss. In difficult times, Jesus speaks this encouragement and says, it's going to get rough. The season's going to be dark. You will scatter. You will run. You'll say you don't know me right after cutting someone's ear off to defend me. (sighs) It's going to get crazy and confusing. That's okay. Think of how confused these guys were. One moment, listen, Peter is there in the garden. He chops the ear off of someone just to defend Jesus. And then a mile down the road denies he ever met him. It's confusing. There's a disillusionment that happens in dark seasons. We can get turned around. We can get a little bit backwards. We can run away. We can, we can do, we can try to flee. We can try to get out. We can do a bunch of different things, but just know this. That the grace of God is there in this season for you right now. He's not worried about you running. He's not worried about you denying. He's not worried about your betrayal. He's not worried about, because all he's saying to you is, it's okay. This is a cross-section moment of your life and it doesn't define our relationship. Meet me in Galilee. So that's the decision I'm asking us to make this morning. You might be in a hard place. You might be in a hard moment. You might be in a season where you just don't quite know what's going on. That's okay. You're like, that's easy for you to say. It is. (laughs) But listen, it's okay. I hear the voice of Jesus saying to us this morning, will you just meet me in Galilee? It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. It's going to be tough. There's going to be crazy stuff going on. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be all of these things, but it's okay. Will you meet me in Galilee? First love, highest calling. Will you meet me in Galilee? So Jesus, today, we just lay our lives before you. In whatever season we're in, all over this room, online, and joining us from all over, Lord, we just all together say we lay our lives before you. In whatever season we're in. And Father, for those that are in a dark season, in a difficult time, 
I speak your grace over them right now in Jesus' name. Would you meet them with your compassion? Would you meet them with your care? Would you meet them in this moment? Would you encourage their hearts to go on, to not give up? Would you help them to not give in to the temptation of bitterness or giving up on the calling? Would you soften our hard hearts? Would you soften the hardness of our hearts that have come from dark seasons? Would you soften us and make us open to you and to your ways again? Make us open to your will again. Today, we just say to you, Father, not my will, but yours be done. This morning, I think we just need to have some difficult conversations with God and he's not afraid of them. He's not afraid to hear, Father, it would sure be easier if this passed. It would sure be easier if you would just make this all go away. This would sure be easier if you would do this or that. He's not afraid of your honesty this morning. Would you just say what you need to say to the Father this morning? been hurt or you've been betrayed, you just tell him that. If you're tired, you're weary, you're feeling broken, tell him that today. Abba, Father, let this moment drive us to a deeper intimacy with the Father. If you've been in disobedience to his will, this morning, it's time to say, not my will, but yours be done. I'm, I, I'm, I'm done going my own way. I'm ready to go your way, Jesus. I'm ready to go your way. Some of us this morning are struggling with blame. We just want to blame somebody. We just want to blame something or anything. We just want to, this morning, I want you just to lay down blame submit to the will of the Father this morning. You might just need to speak that out. Just say, I lay down blame. So Lord, this morning, or today, I ask that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit right now, all over this room. Would you heal hearts? Would you heal lives? Would you restore? Would you do what you do best? Here in this place today. God, we thank you for your goodness, God. And we just ask today, Lord, that you would, I just ask for an extra measure of your grace. Lord, today I bless your people. with the grace to walk through difficult seasons today. With the grace to walk through difficult conversations, difficult memories, difficult life situations and moments, difficulty. Lord, I 
I bless them, God, with the grace to sort that out with you today. Lord, as you take the lid off of our situations and you sort out what needs to be sorted out. this Galilee thing just stuck with me all week and I, I, it's even something that Jesus says, you know, Jesus says it to, or the, excuse me, the angels at the tomb, after Jesus rises from the dead, I'm going to let you in a little secret. After Jesus rises from the dead, the angels also know about the plan. And the angels say to the women there at the tomb, they say, hey, Go tell all the guys he's gone ahead of them to meet them in Galilee to get this ball rolling. See, throughout all of the process, he was constantly just pointing the back toward the calling, back toward the calling, back toward the calling. And he even has his angels saying, hey, when they, when they come to find me, and they will come, you just let them know I'm where I said I would be. They can meet me there. And they did. He's asking us to do the same this morning. We, we want to just stay in this moment this morning. We're not in a hurry. If you're in a hurry, that's fine. You can do your thing today. But we have people that want to minister to you and pray for you. Specifically today for whatever needs you have. If you need prayer for any reason this morning, just I want you just to come to this altar. I feel like some of us just need to come and acknowledge that's the season we're in. We just need to come up front and just say, hey, that's me. I'm in this season of difficulty. I'm in this season of hardship. I'm in a season of suffering. And I'm just acknowledging it to meet with God this morning, to get to go deeper in my relationship and intimacy with him this morning. So if that's you, come on up. We want to pray with you. Uh, we want to seek God with you. Uh, and God bless you. Uh, have an incredible, incredible week. We're so glad that you are joining us today. Uh, we're just going to keep going here in the house this morning. So if you'd like to keep going with us, you're welcome to. Um, if not, God bless you. Thanks for coming this morning. We love you. Have an incredible week. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks. 